Good morning, everyone. It is my privilege to stand up here today and open God's Word. And I pray that you will be encouraged by God with the blessings in His Word that I have been enjoying this week in 1 Peter. If you're memorizing 1 Peter with me, I just want you to know I'm up to verse 12, which gets me up to today. And next week, I'm trusting that I can memorize the next passage. So uh, I'm, going, I'm going verse by verse, just like we do with the preaching. But I know that many of you are going through, I think we could say all of us are going through a lot of unknowns in life, a lot of things that, that aren't answered. You don't know, they're uncertain. That could be a geographical thing. You know, where am I supposed to live in the future? Some of you are, I know the, some are moving away next week, the, um, the Shrocks. Um, others are trying to figure out if they can afford to live here. Um, younger couples, maybe. Um, some of you have a lot of relational uncertainty, unknowns. You don't know if your marriage is going to make it. You don't know if you will get married. And you don't know if maybe a wayward family member will return. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns. Sometimes it's occupational. You just don't know what you're supposed to do in life or where you're going to get your next job. But we are asking all the time who and what and when and where and probably the biggest question, why? Why is this happening? Right along with those unknowns are a lot of longings, desires, you can call them cravings even, wishes, hopes, and and sometimes they're centered on people, sometimes they're centered on things, but there's things we really, really want in life. But with so many unknowns and so many longings that we are dealing with, and we all know we are, there's something that Jesus wants you to know today that's centered in the passage that I'm preaching. Jesus wants you to know what the prophets knew, and Jesus wants you to crave what the angels crave. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but the angels are craving something right now, and they've been craving it for a long time, and they will keep craving it for as long as it takes for Jesus to come back. The point today is this, that Jesus wants you to know the truth and crave your home in heaven so that your life would reflect Christ. Jesus said to his followers at one point, blessed are your eyes that see, because a lot of people wanted to see what you are seeing now and and longed for it, but couldn't see it because the timing wasn't right yet. And so we could say about ourselves, blessed are our eyes because we see, because we can see the promises of salvation worked out. We can see some of these things that the prophets and the angels haven't been able to see. But those same eyes cry tears of sorrow. Those same eyes cry tears of grief in various hardships of life. And we talked about this last week. If you are a Christian, no matter where you live, Who you are, what you do, you will experience persecutions, trials, hardships, testings for Christ's sake. Peter was writing to console and comfort scattered Christians who were suffering for Christ. He was talking about gospel living from where you are all the way to heaven. He's basically saying you're promised heaven, 
but you must go through this life and we know it is painful last week we looked at the fact that trials are a part of life in christ they're necessary they're really god's pathway to an eternally minded genuine strong joyful faith we think of hebrews chapter 12 where it says that jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross endured that hardship in our place for us we read in romans chapter 8 verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time that we're going through are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be ours that will be revealed we also saw last week that trials that peter is talking about are not the inconveniences of life it's not that they don't have your flavor of coffee or that you stubbed your toe or things like this those things happen They're not the bad things that happen to all sorts of people. They're not the relational friction that you're experiencing. They're not your unmet personal expectations and preferences. The New Testament views trials as the result of a life surrendered to Jesus and the humble, bold proclamation of the gospel. We would not want to ever be insensitive to human suffering. We say it it happens all over the place. But the kind of trials that he's talking about here are because of the gospel. Last week... I pointed out that trials point out how good salvation is. And they point us to heaven. They prove our faith genuine. You can say, my faith is real. I've been through the fire. And they strengthen our faith. And they produce praise to God. And that a joyful heart will treasure Christ above all other things. But I love that when Peter was writing to these suffering Christians... He's basically saying, look, you're suffering. And because you're suffering, you need to rest assured that everything I've told you so far about salvation is really, 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 really true. He takes the first 12 verses in this letter he's writing, and he tells them all about salvation. These are suffering Christians. Now, I said this probably the first week, that whenever you see believers being reminded that they were chosen by god and foreknown and regenerated it's to comfort them in affliction to remind them because their minds might be playing tricks on them and thinking it must be something wrong with us because we're in we're going through this and so i I love the fact that peter is saying no there's a whole string of events that god has orchestrated the holy spirit told the prophets They're basically your servants for the gospel. They inspired others to preach the gospel to you. And even the angels are into this. What I'm talking about, Peter is saying, the angels are into it. They're literally craning their necks to see salvation's glories. They love it when sinners get saved. So know for certain that you are safe in Christ no matter what happens. That's what Peter's saying. So let's read it. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So open your Bibles to that place. And please stand with me, as is our custom, to read the Word of God. I'll be reading just these three verses. I know the other weeks I read all the verses up to where I was preaching, but today, 10 through 12. And then I'll pray. And then you can sit down. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ 
and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that you've given us truth that we need and that by your spirit you use this word in our lives to change us, to transform us. Pray, Lord, now you would have your way with us that this time today would not just be checking something off the list, but it would truly be life-changing, life-altering, life-recalibrating around the gospel truths, around salvation's promises and our home in heaven. Lord, that we would be better equipped to live here and now in all the, the unknowns and the longings and the situations that we face. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. So, what the prophets knew and angels crave. What the prophets knew and angels crave. Basically, why you should be so excited about salvation in Christ. Peter is basically telling the people how awesome salvation is. They're in trouble, and he is telling them the salvation in Christ that they have is the basis for them surviving and thriving in life. He tells them why their salvation is so crave-worthy. Think of something you crave. Me, almost on a daily basis, I crave Fat Daddy's Barbecue in Russellville, Arkansas. I actually called them a couple weeks ago and said, do you ever deliver? They're like, we might be able to do that someday. And so... I'm still craving. What do you crave in life? What, what God wants you to see today is what, what the angels crave. He's telling them how awesome salvation is. They're in trouble. Their salvation is so crave-worthy. And don't we need to know about our salvation in Christ? Today what I want you to see is what the prophets knew and what the angels crave. And in the process I'm going to give you, there's really two points to the sermon. Okay, Number one, what the prophets knew. They knew salvation's promise. Number two, what the angels crave, salvation's glories. And in that, as we talk about what the prophets knew, I'll I'll give you three characteristics of salvation in Christ. When we talk about what the angels crave, I'll give you five reasons why our faith is so crave-worthy. That's where we're going today. So, why salvation is so awesome, why we should be so excited about it. Before we go any further, though, let me just say, I absolutely detest if I'm in a group and someone's up front trying to get me excited about something, I will rebel. Like, hey, let's everyone get up and give each other high fives or whatever. And I'm like, I will not do this. I will sit down. I don't like that. I just want you to know something. I am not trying to get you excited about salvation today. Okay? The Holy Spirit will do this. Okay? How many times do I say this? The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. So I'll trust the Holy Spirit. I will probably be excited about what I'm saying. If you know me, you know I get a little bit, you know, agitated and excited. And you might say I have ADHD. When I was a kid, that wasn't, those letters weren't being thrown around. So it was just sweaty and in trouble, right? Um, 
Today, though, I'm excited about this, but I want you to know I am not trying to get you excited about it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Okay? Now, it's also, it behooves you, is your duty, if you're a believer, to listen to what God says in His Word and to respond accordingly. And if you sit there and say, no, I will not do this to God, then probably nothing's going to happen. So just, if you want to cooperate, amazing, amazing things are going to happen. You, I bet you if we stopped right now and I said time out and person after person could come up here and give a testimony about how saying yes to God and, 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 and cooperating with the Holy Spirit really has made a big difference in their life. We could also get up here and tell stories about when we didn't do it, right? We all know those stories too. Some of you are saying, well, let's just do that. We should be telling our stories more. But let me tell you what the prophets knew. Salvation's promise. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation. So Peter is, the third time now, he's used the word salvation in 10 verses. Concerning this salvation. So he's basically digressing for a moment. And he's saying, let me talk about this salvation. Before I tell you how you should respond. By the way, next week, going from 13 on, it's all about how you should respond to this salvation. 12 verses laying the groundwork for this salvation being the foundation for why you can survive and thrive in life amidst all your, your issues of life and all the persecutions. But 12 verses to, to lay that groundwork and then the rest, here's how you live it. Here's how you live it. He says, concerning this salvation, this is, this is what I want you to know. You're in the midst of this suffering. You need to know about this salvation. But he, he says this an aside, and he basically says, now I want you to know that what I've really been telling you is really, 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 really true. And you can really, really bank on it. Okay? So, concerning this salvation, the prophets. So first we have the prophets who prophesied. That means that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke through people that he chose to be the prophet doesn't mean they were the best or the brightest or anything like this but they were chosen by god so you read through the prophets and you're like well they got they have issues don't we all the prophets prophesied about grace do you see that in verse 10 the grace that was to be yours i've said this probably every week when you read yours in here we think that means just me and what peter was saying is you all okay y'all it's all of you the church those who are in christ it was it's plural this is the grace that was to be for all christians and of course you want to make it yours you want to personalize it and you should you shouldn't hold it at arm's length but don't just think it's only for you you've got a whole church of people that you reside with in a local assembly and then every believer of all times and, and, and even into the future are going to read this and go, that's about us, the church. Okay? So the, the prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So they're prophesying about something that's going to happen. It's the whole idea of prophecy, okay? It hasn't happened yet. God says he's going to do it. So they were prophesying about the grace that was to be yours and it says they searched and inquired. They searched and inquired. Now, they, they made careful search and inquiry. This word for search here literally means to look intently for the one thing that you can't find. Your keys, your car, 
your kids, your mind, whatever you're looking for that you can't find and you, you seem to have lost it, you look intently for that one thing and you know how that feels. You, you're desperate to know where the keys are. You're desperate to know where your kids went. You're desperate to know where your mind went. You basically are, are so intent that that is the focus until you figure it out. The prophets are, are prophesying about this grace and they were just getting their minds blown. And, and then they inquired. So they keep asking. They keep seeking. Now what this means is they were searching the scriptures. They searched the scriptures. They thought deeply about times and situations. And they were trying to figure out the mystery that was hidden. They were looking for clues. They were trying to crack the code. Well, let me tell you what they didn't know. What they didn't know was what person and time was being indicated. It says here that they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So they didn't know who exactly was being spoken of. They knew it was the Deliverer, the Savior. They didn't know who exactly it would be. They didn't know what time he would show up on the scene. Okay? And the Spirit of Christ in them, speaking through them, was speaking of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. We know all about the sufferings of Christ. On this side of the cross, we're like, He, he died for our sins in our place. You need to know this. Uh, if you want to be saved, if you want salvation. And by the way, Peter's talking about salvation here. Remember this. And we live in a time where people say, why do you need to talk about salvation? They will ridicule salvation. The people will say, I don't need salvation. Well, every person needs salvation, but not every person is willing to admit they need salvation. I think the name of Jesus should be the sweetest name that we, that we know. To, to hear of Jesus should, should thrill our souls if we're believers. But the, the word salvation should, should generate in us a lot of gratefulness, a lot of wonder, a lot of awe, because salvation means deliverance, rescue. In a death, you're going to die, and, and you're saved from death. So it's, it's a big word. It's an important word. It's a very weighty word, salvation. And he's talking about this salvation. He says, they've been prophesying about grace that was going to come in the future, and so they wanted to know who when and what they did know was that there would be sufferings what they did know is that there would be subsequent glories again we look at it from this side of the cross and we're like yeah the, the resurrection the ascension the promised return of Christ and all these people getting saved from their sins and having new life in Christ what they knew was something that had been revealed to them. It says in, in verse 12, it was revealed to them, to these prophets that were, that were prophesying about grace that was to come. It was, re, it was revealed to them. God revealed it to them. They didn't open up the newspaper one day or hear it on the radio, of course. They, they heard it from God. God revealed to the prophets something very significant as they were searching and inquiring to figure out who exactly was going to do this and when he would come. What it was revealed to them was that they were gospel servants. 
gospel servants. Look there at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What they knew was that they were gospel servants. It wasn't about them. It was about us. This is very, this is very important for us to see. that They knew salvation's promise. And, and they were being servants. In fact, where it says that they were serving not themselves but us, it's the word for deacon, diaconeo. It, they're servants. Do you know, it was said that during the persecution of the church by the Roman Empire, the, the, the charge was kill the deacons first. Kill the church servants first because, and the soldiers would often kill the, the deacons of the church first because the deacons were so powerful in bringing new members into the church through their compassionate witness for the gospel. Like, get rid of them first. The prophets were killed too. They were serving God's purposes in their generation, but not just then. They were serving gospel purposes for our sakes. This is, this is big. This is what they knew. God told them. He revealed it to them. You're like, well, how could he do that? Well, remember he was speaking through them his very word. I think he's able to tell them what the deal was that was going on. This is what they knew. Well, what can we know? We can know salvation. All about salvation. It's so necessary. Don't let anyone tell you that salvation is not necessary. They're, they're fooling themselves. Again, three times so far this word salvation has been used. All the way through these 12 verses, he's been talking about salvation. He's referred to all the way through 1 Peter. It's a salvation that is so great, and it's all true, Peter is saying. And here's what we can know. Let me give you three aspects of salvation. And you can see it here in 1 Peter. The first aspect of salvation is that you are saved by someone. You're saved by someone. That's the whole nature of salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. Just read an article last night about someone who drowned. They drowned yesterday. They, didn't, they weren't able to save themselves. And here, you're saved in Christ by God alone. So when he says in verse 1 and 2 that he's writing to the elect exiles who are, who according, are elect according to the foreknowledge of God and that they have been caused to be, verse 3, be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you need to know that. If you're not saved, you need to know that you need to be saved by God alone. Through Christ alone, by grace, not by your works. You can't work your way to heaven. And you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says that you're a chosen race. Talking to believers, you are a chosen race. God chose you. You look at verse 24. He himself, this is Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So he did the work. He was wounded for our transgressions. And when you come to faith in Christ, when you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are saved by God alone. You need to know this about salvation, that it's paid for all by God's grace. So you're saved by grace. You're saved by God alone. The second aspect you want to know about salvation is that you are saved from something. You are saved from sin. 
Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. What you deserve is to be separated from God forever. So you're saved from sin and, and spiritual death and hell. You're saved from Satan. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. Near the end of this letter, Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. He's basically telling these believers, you be careful. Don't get comfy. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Last time I was near a roaring lion, I was on the other side of the fence. I always like to stay on that side of the fence. The other side of the fence from the lion. I was in South Africa. I was like going like this to the lion, you know, and teasing the lion. It couldn't do anything to me. I wasn't being cruel to animals. It's a lion. They can take care of themselves. They're not victims, okay? Um, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's writing to Christians, and he's saying, you be careful. You be very careful. He says in verse 9, you need to resist the devil. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So praise be to God. Uh, Strength and might to God forever and ever. The dominion. What the prophets knew was salvation's promise. What we can know is that we, when we come to faith in Christ, are saved by God alone, by grace, and we're saved from sin, death, hell, and Satan. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that um, hopefully these people can escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 2 Corinthians tells us that those that are blind, minds are blinded to the gospel, it says because Satan, the God of this world, has blinded their minds of the unbelieving. They might not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. So you need to know that you've been, when you come to faith in Christ, you've been saved from sin, death, hell, and Satan. But then also you need to know the third thing is that you are saved for something. You're saved for, for God, first and foremost. You go back to second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 5.10 again says that after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ... You are saved for for God. You are saved for heaven. Um, Ephesians 2 says you're saved for good works. You don't get saved by them, but you are to to live in in those good works after you are saved. The thing is, if you think about the prophets for a moment, they knew salvation's promise. They didn't know the person or the time. We do this side of the cross. But what they knew was that they were revealed that it was serving, they were serving us and they were really excited about it. The thing that strikes me is that the prophets are more excited, were more excited about an intent on knowing Jesus than I sometimes am. Or that it seems that a lot of believers are. In 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in your grace and knowledge. Don't digress. 
Don't get weaker. Get stronger. But I think, and it's very easy for us to think this way. Let's say you become a believer and you're all excited about Jesus and you want to tell everyone you know about Jesus and you want to read the Bible every single day. Remember when I was first a brand new believer, I didn't want to be anything like I was before. Here I was 20 years old and I was like, I, I've got to read my Bible. I, I, I want to read my Bible all the time. I, I need to read my Bible all the time. I, 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 I was convinced. It was very interesting. I remember going to someone and saying, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through and they're like, you'll get over that. I want to tell everyone I know about Jesus. Well, settle down. And what happens is, the longer we go in Christ, the more comfy we get, and we don't do those things we did at first. Now, what, did, what did Jesus say to, the, to the church, one of the churches in Revelation? Go do the deeds you did at first. You go back. Get all lukewarm. So, more excited and intent on knowing Jesus, how does that happen? Physically, we all know we're deteriorating unless you're a kid you know uh if you're my age you over 50 you're like it hurts everything what what hurts everything hurts you know and 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 we think well i used to work out a lot now i'm not i'm gonna work out less and kind of slide into the my, my later years you know and we like to retire right what i would like to say and i think i've got god's word for it here is fight for your growth don't don't retire as a christian fight for your growth say i'm going to press on to know the lord i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna know jesus more i want to know jesus more you know that uh that old saying it's it's f-i-f-o fifo first in first out it's like i think it's like a supermarket inventory thing like when i go to the store to get some yogurt what I do, I see the stuff in front, and then I reach way in the back. I know you do, too. You reach way. I am that guy, yes. I reach way in the back. All the other ones fall, and I grab the ones with the, the later date on them. Right? The people that, that run the store say, oh, we really would prefer first in, first out. But so you all, you know this, and I know this, but we don't do it. I think in, in the church of Jesus Christ, it should be like this. Oldest believers... Leading the charge in terms of reach, first in, first out. You, you've been here the longest. You've been knowing Jesus the longest. You're not retiring. You're refiring. Okay? Uh, reignite is what I'm talking about. Get reignited in your faith. Um, the only way I know how to do that, how it happens, is, 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 you, is you, you focus on the Lord Jesus and you get into his word. And you spend time with believers and, and then you do whatever the Bible tells you to do and apply it to every part of your life. It's pretty simple. But what the prophets saw, what the prophets knew, excuse me, was salvation's promise and, and what we can know is that we are saved by God alone and saved from sin, death, hell, and, 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 and Satan and, and saved for God in heaven. And I think we should be really intent on, on knowing that and, and, and being, being about... Um, following Jesus more and more and more and not retiring as believers not saying well I've done that for 50 years or 30 years let the young kids do it you know how many times I've heard that from people not here of course but other places and it's like you know really don't mail it in come on but let's talk about what the angels crave I mean we're craving people you know there's a lot of crave worthy things in the world Um, but what the angels crave is salvation's glories I want you to go to that very last 
phrase at the end of verse 12. It just says, things into which angels long to look. And, 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 and just in case you're thinking the angels are getting left out by God, remember the angels are very important. And by the way, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, oh, so-and-so died, they're an angel now. No. It's not in the Bible. That's so unbiblical. Angels don't need salvation. And people don't turn into angels. Please. Read your Bible. You'll understand this. Okay? Things into which angels long to look. But don't think the angels are getting left out of all the party. Okay? Angels are very important. Think about what angels have been used by God to do. They, are, they announced Jesus' birth. So they're pretty important, right? They ministered to Jesus during his time of testing on earth. So pretty important. They stood by the grave when he rose from the dead. Pretty important. They, they attended his ascension into heaven. And the angels were saying, hey, what are you looking up in the sky for? Jesus is going to come back in the same way he left. And, and then what, what are the angels doing now? The book of Hebrews tells us they are, they are serving Jesus by serving all believers. The Bible tells us they're ministering spirits sent out to render service for those who, were in, who will inherit salvation. And so, angels are very important. So they're not getting left out. But it says, things into which angels long to look. Why are they longing to look? Because they don't get to have the salvation that we can have. They're, they're created beings, but... That's not the program of God for them. But they're really excited about it. They're longing to look. By by the way, go to Revelation 5. They're going to sing the song of salvation though they have not experienced it, though they don't need to experience it. But they're still very excited about it. Revelation 5, verse 11. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. So lots and lots of angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So many you can't count. And here's what's happening. Verse 12. Saying with a loud voice worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. So the angels are with them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So they're in on the praise. They rejoice when a sinner gets saved. There is... Jesus says, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents and over 99 people who think they're righteous that don't think they need to repent. They're going to sing the song of salvation, all about God's glory. But what, what this is telling us is they know and crave, they crave, excuse me, the glories of salvation in Christ. So the idea is they're more enthralled with it than we are. And they can't have it. Why should we crave salvation? Why is it so great? Five reasons why salvation is so valuable. And it takes you through this passage once again. Number one, why salvation is so valuable? Because 
Look at verse 11. Christ predicted his own sufferings. It says, uh, the, the prophets were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So here you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here called the Spirit of Christ. The Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. They were together in this, in this plan. And they, Christ predicted his own sufferings. He, his word is truth. He is the truth. He's telling them the truth beforehand. That's pretty amazing. Number two, the prophets' minds were blown by the awesomeness. They searched and inquired. And all I can ask is, if they search like that, how do you seek after God? Are you mailing it in? Or are you following hard after God? Are you like the psalmist in Psalm 42 that says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. Hosea chapter 6 says, so let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. And that word press on means to pursue and to chase. It's this intense intensity. It's like you go after chocolate. You can sniff that out from, you know, layers upon layers of wrapping. The prophets' minds were blown by the awesomeness. They sought after God hard, and so should we. Now the third reason I brought up already, the prophets knew they served gospel purposes in relationship to us. They were serving not their own time period, but after them. And so it brings us to 2014 and beyond as well. Prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving us. How about in Hebrews chapter 11, that that hall of faith, verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were servants of ours and, and they served gospel purposes and relations to, to us. That, that makes salvation pretty amazing and pretty awesome. A fourth reason, and I'm, this is, what, this is that, that last part of verse 12, angels crave salvation glories. And if they feel like that, how should we feel? I think, though, what happens is I don't crave salvation's glories and and you don't crave salvation's glories because we're we're so busy craving so many other little earthly glories that have little G's, no no big G glory. But we're so enthralled with those little things that are gifts from God. But we begin to worship them. We begin to be so craving of those things. And I think sometimes what we say is, God, here's all my longings and here's all my all my, and my issues and I need you to solve all of that and then I'll have heaven. And God's saying, no, the sufferings lead to the glory. And because you're aligned with Jesus, sprinkled with his blood, fully identified with Jesus, you will have the sufferings before you have the glory. Peter's saying, you're gonna have the sufferings. That's the way to glory. Amy Carmichael, one of my favorite writers, she was a missionary to India and, and she said, she wrote this, Shall I pray thee change thy will, my Father, until it be according unto mine? But no, Lord, no, that shall never be. Rather, I pray thee, blend my human will with thine. I pray thee, hush the hurrying, eager longing. I pray thee, soothe the pangs of keen desire. 
See in my quiet places wishes thronging. Forbid them, Lord, purge, though it be through fire. Some of us have wishes that are thronging that need to be purged out of our lives so that we would crave salvation's glories. The angels long to see these things. That, that word long literally means to lust, to crave, to covet. It can be used in a very bad sense or a very good sense. Here, in the highest sense, they are longing, they are craving to look, to literally stoop down and look. It's this holy curiosity on their part to see salvation's glories. The, the Bible says that they rejoice over sinners being saved. They love it when sinners get saved. They love the glory of God. They love salvation. Angels see these glories. They want to see these glories and they're more blown away by our salvation than we are. It's like when you go to a wedding and it all gets set up and you sit down. There's beautiful flowers. There's beautiful wedding party. They're proceeding down the aisle and they all get lined up and the groom's there, the pastor's there and all of a sudden there's a hush. Silence. And then the mother stands up. She looks. Everyone cranes their necks and looks and they're looking for the bride and, and they want to see the bride's face, the glory of this bride coming down the aisle. It's like when a baby is born. You, you want to see. You, you're having a baby or you're the mom or the dad or the grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle and brother or sister and you cannot wait. To, to, to lay your eyes on, on this new life. The angels are longing to see salvation's glories and they're, they're more blown away by it than we are. How consumed are you with the glory of God? How often do you even think about it? We think of the glory of God as something that we're supposed to like manufacture. I want to glorify God when it's the glory of God that we should be basking in. There's, it's the glory of God that we should be longing for. Peter's been saying to us all along so far, impossibility is being overcome. You were dead. You've been made alive. You're protected by the power of God for this salvation. Are you locked in to seeing the glory? Are you locked in to the saving grace and sanctifying grace? And are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Do you crave it? You know the gospel promise. You, you crave the gospel glory and it won't be half-hearted. It won't be take it or leave it. it it'll be half to have it. You crave. You know what I think we should write on the front of our Bibles? Crave. Crave. You know, we, we get so hardened to the Bible as believers that should love this book that we, we don't write crave on it. We say, I already got that. I already know that. I already read that. I'm done with that. I don't know if I believe that. This is, this is, this is a, God has miraculously preserved his word and we've got copies, lots and lots. But do we crave the word of God? Do we crave to see the glories of God and to, to, to know salvation's glories? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You do that, you want more. One writer said it this way, Though the world may think Christians insignificant and worthy of pity or scorn, angels 
who see the ultimate reality from God's perspective find them to be objects of intense interest. For they know that these struggling believers are actually the recipients of God's greatest blessings and honored participants in the drama at the focal point of universal history. So you must think of your Christian life as no less privileged and no less interesting to the holy angels than the lives of Peter's first readers. It's really, really true, Peter is saying. It's not a novel idea that I came up with, Peter is saying. It's good old stuff that's, that, that, that people long to see and it comes from God and the Holy Spirit is overseeing it and Jesus loves you and you need to know that it, it, it generated excitement from the prophets and the preachers and angels. And really the last thing, the fifth thing I'll, I'll throw out to you is preachers preach by the Holy Spirit. Almost forgot that point. Preachers preach by the Holy Spirit. You see, go back. Go back to uh, verse 12. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Take that to uh, July 6, 2014, in this very moment, where I have privileged to preach the glories of God in Christ and, and to, to call you to know salvation's promise and to crave salvation's glories in light of one day freedom in Christ. Closing, I'll just say... Um, I want to tell you a little story about Louis Zamperini. You might have heard of him. He was in the Olympics in 1936. He was a War War II Japanese prisoner of war, and he was a preacher of forgiveness to his captors, to his torturers. He was born to Italian immigrant parents, so you know he was really cool. And he, he, moved, he moved to Torrance, California in 1919. In, in 1936, uh, the track and field team uh, took him to Berlin at age 19, and he ran a 56-second 50 second final lap. Hitler requested to meet him personally at the Berlin Games. But then war breaks out. He becomes an army pilot. Zamperini and his crew were searching for a downed B-25 when their plane crashed into the Pacific. Eight out of the 11 men died. He survived 47 days on a raft, drinking rainwater, eating birds, and singing hymns with his fellow uh, survivors. The raft lands in Japan. He spent two years in prison camps he endears near constant torture every time he gets beaten 220 punches per beating he says I was too busy trying to stay alive to think about dying Laura uh, Hillenbrand told her, his story in her 2010 bestseller Unbroken by the way there'll be a movie out in December about his life but the question remains in my mind of will that film do justice to the man he became not the man he was you see, when he got back from Japan, he suffered from nightmares and suffered from post-traumatic stress after he returned home, and he turned to alcohol. And in, in the book, there's the post-war chapters that showed how he was very reluctant to meet Billy Graham, but he did in 1949, and he got saved. He, he, became, he came to know Jesus, and, and it changed the legacy of, of the next 65 years of his life. He, when he was in captivity, he made thousands of promises to God about what he would do, but he didn't keep any of them. But he says that day with Billy Graham, before I got off my knees, the, the miracle of transformation took place. So he returns to Japan in 1950 and spoke to 850 prisoners held for war crimes. About half of them received Christ. Eight of his former guards, now prisoners themselves, came forward. And he forgave his torturers. He... He hugged them in the process. 
Zamperini spoke in all 50 states, shared his story to tens of thousands of people in Japan. In 1998, he carried the torch for the Winter Olympics. He told his story to millions of other people on, on television. Just in May, he was, he was named the Grand Marshal of the, of the uh, 2015 Rose Parade in Pasadena. And um, I think the theme is inspiring stories. This is an inspiring one. But he caught pneumonia two weeks later. And this past Wednesday, July 2nd, he went home to Jesus. So he is free. That one day freedom, he has now. He gained his final freedom. He went home to Jesus. But you, you look at your life for a moment. So many unknowns, so many longings. Jesus wants you to know what the prophets knew and what angels crave and what Louis Zamperini knows now. He wants you to know the truth and crave your home in heaven so your life reflects Christ. Zamperini said this. He says, you know, let's face it. That is what we are here for. All we are are voices for the gospel. I will be here as long as the Lord can use me. I hope that's our motto. Lord God, thank you for this time and thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can know salvation's promise because of your word being preached and given to us. Lord, may we seriously crave salvation's glories. I don't know how to generate it, but I know by your spirit you bring it about that we would latch on to, to one day being free, fully free in heaven with you. But until that day to be voices for the gospel here as long as you can use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.